Parker. Now, um, Al, do you say your last name Kirchhofer? Yes. Okay. Say it. Uh, you got a hard name like me. Okay. Let's just get started and we'll wing it. Um, so, welcome everybody to the Cannabis Accounting Podcast by Dope CFO. Um, we have a whole lot going on in, in cannabis licensure, especially in the Northeast. So, we're super excited to have Allison Kirchhofer. She's a CPA and an MBA, both. Um, in the New York area, and, and we really think that this entire Northeast area, New Jersey, New York, et cetera, is where we're going to see absolutely huge growth. Um, and so I just want to dive right in because we have a ton of stuff to cover. Um, Allison's in our Dope CFO program. She's building a practice in the New York area. We've also, we got to speak on a stage together in Edison, New Jersey last year, or, or not last year, a few months ago. Um, so that was super fun as well. But why don't we start off, let you come in and, and give us more of a detail about your actual background. Um, that's always a good place to start off. Um, with with your background and how you ended up getting into the cannabis space. Wonderful. Um, well, thank you, first of all, Andrew, so much for having me. I will start by answering what got me into the cannabis space um, as an accountant, because it was it was truly you, Andrew. Um, basically, <laughs> yeah. I took a CPE and it changed the trajectory of my career. It was one of those things where the stars aligned and I was at um, a a crossroads. I had just left a company that I was working for. Um, and it was a pretty toxic environment. And I, I am absolutely an entrepreneurial spirit. And I was at a point in my life where I just couldn't ignore that. So I knew I wanted to go off on my own and um, was considering actually niching in law firms um, because I had an opportunity there. And then, um, yeah, you know, I, I had an opportunity to just sort of do a little soul searching. So I was doing some CPE. I found yours. Um, I spoke to my husband about making the investment in the Dope CFO program, and he was very supportive. And so here we are. Um, in terms of my background, I um, have spent my entire career as an accountant working with small businesses and um, worked mainly with restaurants in New York City. So, you know, what I thought was a highly regu regulated industry, <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing compared to cannabis, but that that is my background, working with small business owners. Well, let me, and, and by the way, your company's called Accounting by Design, and we'll put yes. all of Allison's info in our show notes as well. Um, so we'll see that. And you live, I'm guessing, in right in the heart of the New York City area. Just outside well. now. Yep. So I'm in the Hudson Valley uh, in a okay. fun little hippie town called Naya. Okay. So you're you're in that area. But the cool thing about New York City is like, I mean, I haven't been there in a while, but you got Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, literally all right there. So it's and then just the entire state of New York is going to be be very big. So we've got a lot of, of topics we're going to cover, um, including going into um, compliance as well. Um, and maybe right off, let's talk about, um, I want to make sure I get this right. Um, one thing we're going to talk about social equity and licensure in both New York and New Jersey um, as well. And then also you founded 
co-founded New York Consortium of Cannabis Accountants. So tell us about that, because I love um, anything and everything around getting involved, what we call in our program, the P of actually participating in your niche. Um, so I want to hear all about this consortium. Okay, absolutely. I love to, I'd love to talk about it. Um, so the Consortium of Cannabis Accountants, uh, the CCA, really our full name is the New York Consortium of Cannabis Accountants. And I, I um, emphasize that because when we were first, you know, coming together as a group, we had a lot of discussions around whether we would be East Coast, Tri-State, and the, it came back to, you know what, New York is, is its own unique monster and market to tackle and we, we just where we were all New Yorkers so we decided to focus on New York and for me my interpretation of the P and VIP is is finding ways to really do good in the industry so that's that's the intention here with the CCA so I co-founded the CCA with um, five other badass entrepreneurial accountants um, and tax preparers um, initially I had gotten us all together in the group just, just for networking. Um, I had met most of them through the dope CFO program. And I just said, you know, we're all in New York. We're all doing this. We should all know each other. And so I put together a meeting for us and I just decided to call the meeting consortium of cannabis accountants. And so that's really where the name comes from. Um, and then we realized pretty quickly that we, we could do some good in helping to stand up the legal industry in New York. It was a group of us who really cared about the, you know, what, what the legal market was going to look like in, in our home state. Um, so we decided to focus our uh, charitable efforts on education. So we're aiming to be a 501c3. Um, our mission is to promote financial literacy among New York's legacy market leaders and social equity entrepreneurs. Uh, we want to uphold the spirit and intent of cannabis legalization in New York. And we're excited, we're putting together a mentorship program and some free workshops throughout the state in 2023. Okay, that's just, I love to hear that. And, and like you say, first and foremost, any participation in organization, whether it's mentoring or, or coaching or just volunteering, um, is always first and foremost it's just a good thing it's the right thing to do and I always say when we're volunteering I've done a lot of volunteer work in my last 40 years and some of it's been just completely unrelated to accounting but it's nice if we have accounting skills or whatever to combine our giving back efforts with what we're doing and especially in this industry there's there's so many pieces of the movement whether it's medical or criminal justice reform or social equity applicants there's all of these different areas that just need to get better and need help and so that's just awesome to hear um, what you all are doing and then and then a side there are side benefits to participating one I tell people a lot of that people, oh, I hate cold calling and marketing. It's like, well, great, just get involved in the industry. And when you're giving back, you'll be meeting owners and entrepreneurs and investors. And so that's a, a huge piece as well. Um, educating, which I know you're on top of that, also speaking on stages as well. Um, well. Why don't we dive into New York a little bit? So New York is rolling out adult use cannabis in a unique way via the dormitory authority. And I'm going to let you jump into that as a backdrop to that, though. What's interesting to me about New York, well, one is the size is just, it's monstrous. It's like another California, but California and Oregon have big legacy markets. New York does too. And so it's very tricky. And so on the one hand, we're talking about justice reform and letting people out of jail. 
which so Oregon's Oregon's really even a great example. So what did our governor do? She just I forgot how many it was like fifty thousand people just got their their records expunged. It was a great deal, but right behind that came in. They're talking about new laws because still so many people are starting illegal or running illegal grows right now in Oregon, and so they're trying to encourage the legal market. And so there's a new law on the table to increase prison sentences. Um, so it's it's like we're doing these things. It's like it's it's so tricky. It's like the chicken and the egg. You're trying to start a legal industry. You're trying to let people out of jail but at the same time. And so I, I'll be interested to hear kind of what is New York going. Oh, and, and, and the one other thing I wanted to mention, today it came out, California just um, handed down a $125 million fine. I mean, that's a, that's, you know, a wow. fifth of a billion dollars I mean, to one company, <laughs> to wow. a gummy bear company um, for selling illegal gummy bears. That's a big number. I thought it was 125,000. And then I got in, I was like, holy moly. It's a, so that just came out today. So anyway, let you jump in with that as kind of a big backdrop of, of where we are. Yeah, it's a very similar sort of situation here in New York where, you know, legalization happened um, through the legislation. Um, and that was over a year ago. That was the end of March 21. Um, and but, you know, the a whole new state agency had to be set up. And that obviously takes time and regulations and programs and, and the application processes. That's all just still unrolling now a year and a half later. So, um, you know, to an extent, the existing legacy market um, is sort of in, is just now it's referred to as the gray market. And the yeah. narrative from the state has always been um, to embrace the existing infrastructure, which is, I think, the right way to handle it. Um, what you're seeing in throughout New York, especially in New York City, is, um, you know, very uh, blazing sort of uh, uh, sales now of illegal adult use. And to the average person on the street, they don't realize that it actually is what I like to refer to as pre-licensed sales, um, at, you know, just very out there in the open. And we're starting to see more of these quote unquote raids of these, these shops. I mean, they're, they're on the news talking about, you know, what they're doing. And then two weeks later, you see that they're, you know, they're on the news again for being shut down. Um, and, and then, you know, at the same time, there are, there are laws, you know, presented that would increase the punishment for these for these um, shops, referring to them as bad actors, um, as opposed to finding ways to embrace the reality of, you know, the New York legacy market. Um, and, you know, it's, it's little, makes me a little nervous to think that, you know, so, some of our um, lawmakers are thinking more of, of um, taking a punitive approach as opposed to finding pathways um, to, to operating legally. Um, and so to go back to your question, I think you, you were asking about the dormitory authority and then the sort of the unique approach that New York has taken um, in their first uh, round of licensing. Um, so the dormitory authority or uh, of the state of New York is referred to often as DASNY. Um, DASNY is actually uh, the, the largest government building construction agency in the country. Um, so it's a taxpayer funded agency. Um, and so the state cannabis 
um, agency, which is called uh, the Office of Cannabis Management or the OCM. Um, the OCM put out the seeding initiative in 2022, which I think is, is um, really unprecedented for a lot of reasons. And so part of the seeding initiative um, was related to DASNI on the retail side. But before we even get there, we have to start with the, um, you know, getting plants, you know, seeds in the ground and plants to harvest. So what they did is they turned out conditional licenses to existing hemp cultivators and processors. Um, and they did it fairly quickly. It wasn't part of the, the original um, legislation that legalized cannabis. Um, and so the goal there was, was to, and this would happen last February. Um, so they wanted to be able to allow these farmers to get seeds in the ground, um, producing supply for the retail side. And there was a lot of speak around, you know, having the, the retailers open here in New York by the end of the year. Um, the governor, Governor Kathy Hochul, had, had made a statement back in, um, I want to say September, October, that there would be 20 dispensaries open by the end of the year. Well, um, it's all being uh, administered and run by DASNI. Um, and so there was a lot that DASNI had to do in a very short period of time. Um, so on the retail side, that licensing um, program is referred to as CARD, which is you know, kind of a weird way to pronounce um, conditional adult use retail dispensary. So again, it's all this conditional licensing that's happening. Um, and by design, they, they chose a very narrow segment of the population for, for this CARD licensing. Um, and this is the piece that's, that's truly unprecedented. So to be eligible for CARD, um, applicants needed to be justice involved and have business ownership experience. So that's really, that's ultimately narrow. a nine, say that again, sorry. I was gonna say very narrow. <laughs> yes, yeah. So it turned out to be 903 applicants um, for CARD for 150 licenses. And the idea was, you know, the card program is intended to be a turnkey solution for these individuals. Um, and so DASNI is the government agency tasked with administering the lease and the build out of these retail spaces throughout the state. So they just mm -hmm. signed their first lease this week in Harlem. Um, and we don't know yet which, uh, and, they, and right before Thanksgiving, they, in, they issued the first um, 36 uh, or 37 um, card provisional licensees. Um, so we don't know which one of them is going to be in the this, this space in Harlem. So it's looking more like we'll have one. I mean, I can't ima imagine it's gonna be open and operating, but they signed the lease, one lease in but December. So I don't think we're gonna meet the governor's goal of 20 open by the end of the year. Um, well, and one, Quick, yeah, I want to ask a couple of clarifying before you go on. So yeah. on the 20, you mentioned 20 licensees, but then you said 150. And so in my brain too, I'm, I'm running my math. So I live in Bend, Oregon, and there's 100,000 people here. And so I think the New York metro area is what, 15 million? So it's 
So New York's, I don't know, it's like 150 of me. We have 23 dispensaries in my little town. And how do wow. I know how do I know we need 23 dispensaries? Well, they've all existed without shutting down now for about eight, nine years. So they're not going under. They're all they're all doing away. Okay, the most of them are growing and expanding to other areas, but it's like, yeah, when I hear numbers like 20 or a hundred, I'm like, yeah. A, hundred thousand people need 20 um how many people how many dispensaries does 15 million people need or whatever a lot more than that <laughs> well they just released the standard regulation so they're in a comment period now so this is just for the card seating initiative um where they want okay. the very first to market to be those who were just as involved but can also <laughs> you know prove to have you know the, be able to run a business um so is that so just i want to dive down a rabbit hole because we've had so many issues with this is it just majority ownership and are there protections because we've seen this all the time yeah. oh sally we gave her the license and then the investor helps pay for that license and work and then after she's up there with her license they say oh we want to buy 80 percent from you for 100 grand or something and they take control of the entity and run it and and it's a little bit of a game. To, mm. Has New York any experience with that? <laughs> yeah, there are absolutely are protections in there. This is, you know, where I bring my my lawyer friends to the table to make sure that they get the answers right. But there are protections in there. It's fifty one percent ownership by the justice involved individual, um, and uh, there's rules around. Um, if you are a social equity applicant, which is a slightly different definition from a card applicant, um, you there's a period of time before you can sell your license, you have to sell it to another social equity applicant. So there are protections built into the law. Okay, well, that's good. I, it's with any new industry, and we see the same thing in crypto, you get all kinds of bad actors, it's a new industry, that means it's easy to take advantage of people or have bad characters come into the space. And so we'll we'll live and learn and 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 you know like a provision i think i like that how you have to sell to another social equity applicant and you can't if i've got a, a say you know a big professional family office you know billion dollar fund gives me a million dollars they can never take over majority that's what i like to see because we've seen that in illinois people are trying to kind of pull the rug out from under some of these applicants and they do need that guidance. Another question is, it'll be interesting to see on this dormitory, DASNY, what are the terms of these leases and and how do you sell your business? I mean, because that's a big part of the value. If you want to build your dispensary and sell it later, are these 20-year leases and are they good rates? And <laughs> We don't know any of that. We're okay. waiting. We're waiting. And it's making um, building financial models pretty, pretty tricky because we don't know how what what the terms of the agreements are is it a lease um is there a rent element or, or is it two separate agreements um you know i try to think of it as a franchise model but um in terms of intent instead of royalties maybe you're paying rent we don't know what it looks like so it's been difficult to to do um you know projections that include a balance sheet for these card applicants yeah so lots of questions yeah and when you think about when this rolls out in any state you know, you set rules and they change and government changes. And then on top of corruption in the industry, you know, I don't know if New York City's ever had any corrupt 
corrupt legal politicians or not. Oh, <laughs> um, but there, yeah, you'll you start getting special interest groups and who so it'll be it'll be very bumpy as this industry grows, but it's fun to get in early and just kind of a plug for you. If you're in out there in New York, yeah, you mentioned financial models and helping with legal structuring. Um, call Allison because um you want to um if you're a social equity applicant we keep hearing over and over and never ends like, oh, I'm setting up my own legal entity or, or, oh, I'm just building my own five-year forecast or whatever it is. You really need a professional um, expert <laughs> to be, be going in with those kind of things as well. Now let's, let's jump into social equity and cannabis license, licensure. This is this, so this is a little broader because um, a social equity applicant doesn't actually have to have business experience. But why don't you give us kind of the lowdown on what is, what's the process and who's eligible and and how that's going? Because we've seen some states really mess this up. <laughs> so, yeah. So to make the distinction, this card program defined an eligible applicant as an individual who is justice involved and has the business ownership experience. The law defines social equity um, so we'll talk New York first. The social equity applicants are defined as minority and women-owned businesses, distressed farmers, and service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. Um, individuals, in addition to that, if you're an individual who lives uh, in a community that has been disproportionately impacted by cannabis prohibition, um, then that qualifies as, social as a social equity applicant um, and extra priority, they, they say, will be given to these applicants. We haven't seen how exactly that's going to play out um, yet. Um, also, we'll see extra priority given to applicants with an income that's lower than a certain threshold. Um, so again, yet to see how this will be played out. Um, in addition, in New York, the legislation requires 50% of licenses to go to social equity applicants. So these card licensees may not actually technically um, uh, qualify as social equity. So, but overall, we're, we're going to see 50% of licenses go to social equity. Um, also very interesting in the law, they, they spell out a two-tier system um, based on the, the alcohol laws in place. And the goal there was to, you know, essentially dismantle the supply chain. Um, and the goal for doing that is to provide more opportunity to, to the smaller players. Um, and there's also going to be uh, an incubator program that's, that's starting to roll out. Um, there's an automatic expungent element. Um, there are a few top-notch lawyers in New York that are focusing on that. Um, the regulations are going to require, the standard regulations are going to require um, that applicants include a plan. Whether or not you're a social equity applicant, you're going to have to have a plan for benefiting communities and people disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Um, as well as a social responsibility framework. So this right here is actually something that a prospective applicant can start working on now. Um, and so that was new, that's New York's law. In, in New Jersey, uh, there is a similar definition for social equity, but it actually does not include distressed farmers. Um, and New Jersey's accepting applications um, currently. So they are much, they're further along. Usually New Jersey follows New York, but I have to, in, for the past couple of months, I've been like flipping my typical verbiage instead of saying New York and New Jersey. I'm saying New Jersey and New York. Um, so in New well, Jersey, they're accepting applications on a rolling basis. Um, 
but if you have a priority designation, then, then you basically automatically move to the top of the list. Um, and they're also rolling out a technical assistance program for social equity individuals. Um, interesting to note though, in New Jersey, just to compare the card seating initiative in New York, the first to market in New Jersey were actually the existing medical operators, which are vertically integrated MSOs. They gave those existing dispensaries the ability to um, sell adult use. So none of my small business clients are selling um, yet, but I can go into Jersey and go to one of these, um, you know, large corporate companies and, and make a legal adult use purchase. Now, one, let's hit a couple of those points. Um, so we've hit the difference between New York and New Jersey, and both those are obviously just absolutely massive markets. Um, and really, a lot of those those definitions around New York, I really like, like 50% of licenses. Um, that, in a way, is going to ensure that we have craft growers and small companies and not just the huge operators. I think at the end of the day, if you go out 10, 15 years across the U.S., we're going to be incredibly similar to liquor and craft brew. And, and yeah, whether you look at wine or coffee or, or beer, you're going to have the Coors and Budweiser's or the Gala wine, but you're still going to have that bottle of wine. That's $2,000. If you want to buy it, um, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to buy that really premium craft brew. And I think, I think we're going to see that, but it's going to take some time to get there, but I'm glad New York is limiting 50% of those as well. Um, and then also, having a plan to benefit the communities as they, for all businesses, that's super, um, super good as well. Now, let me ask you this on, for both New Jersey and New York, is there a plan to quickly scale the number of licenses? So we've got states like, you know, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Oklahoma, I think even New Mexico, where it's kind of free market. We're allowing lots and lots of people to get in, to serve the market. Um, and then other states are being incredibly restrictive and slow. Do you see that in New York and New Jersey where it's going to, because I mean, obviously New York and New Jersey are like 10 Colorados and Colorado has <laughs> thousands of cannabis companies. I know in New York, then what I've heard from uh, Tremaine Wright, who is the chairwoman of the OCM, of the Cannabis Control Board under the OCM, um, has said that they're not going to put a cap on licenses. Um, New Jersey had a cap on cultivation licenses that actually expires in February, and they, ha you know, they haven't begun, uh, uh, you know, the um, adult use cultivators haven't been begun operations yet, so it's almost like a moot point. Um, so, so yeah, I'm not seeing any caps, uh, but I, but I do think I'm, I'm not as familiar with, with the, um, application and licensing process in Oklahoma, but I, from, from what I've gathered, I don't think it's going to be sort of this wild west situation. I think yeah. it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot of hoops to jump through to get the license in New York and New Jersey. Yeah, and I think there can be a blend, like there can be regulation and hoops to go through. But at the end of the day, if you meet the hoops or whatever, you can have the opportunity. And I just think of like when I grew up there, yeah, you could, again, can only get two or three different kinds of beer and when craft brew was allowed. So still today, if I wanted to start my own craft brewery and there are people, I've seen people start craft breweries recently, I'm allowed to start it. It's hard. It's going to be difficult. I've got tons of competition, but I can succeed. Um, 
if if I do the right things or I can fail. Just, I mean, but that's the same with any industry. I can open a hair salon and I got lots of competition um, and I might fail. That's that's the free market. So I hope we can eventually get there um, because at the end of the day, it's a consumer. When you look at so many of these different product lines, you know, another one, you go back 30 years, like like nutritional bars. I think there used to be power bars and cliff bars. And now there's mm-hmm. like a thousand. I know in Bend, Oregon, again, I know like three or four different bar startups over the last five years, and they're they're all still in business. So um, hopefully, ultimately, we'll get to that because that, that will just provide the consumer with more um, projects. But let's turn to... Um, Social equity again, and what what you're working is. I know you are working with social equity applicants. I was actually at an event all the way over in Las Vegas, and I met like three companies. Like, who are you working with? Allison, she's amazing. <laughs> um, so tell me about some of the social equity applicants you're working with, and some of the challenges you're having along the way on that front. Yeah, sure. So I worked with some card applicants. Um, essentially building books and records where they did not exist. Um, So, you know, basically, if you can picture this sort of type of individual that meets these requirements, they were formerly incarcerated, they come out and they're, they're hustling and they're, they're not doing any illegal activity. um, But they're also, um, you know, not necessarily reporting everything. Um, Part of it is because, you know, they just don't, know how to they don't have the systems in place to do that um and it's so i you know for example i worked with an individual who um is a dog breeder and fully licensed had all the registration everything up current that he needed from um from new york state so you know it was a fully uh, legal operation but he didn't have the books and records in place um and what happened with card is they like overnight said card application period is open and you have 30 days to get it all together. Um, so the way that, you know, I advised and I did some mentorship with some non- and did some nonprofit work. And so spoke to a lot more people than I actually ended up working with, but, you know, just giving some advice, um, the way to prove that you owned a profitable business for two years to meet that requirement was to, to produce your tax return. So, um, the, the clients that I worked with, um, needed, books and records compiled so that they could put it on their tax return, show the state that they're fully compliant and either amend or file that return and pay tax on it and report it. And, and so that's, that's the work that I did there. Um, That said, I've, I've helped former legacy players, those who have um, ceased operations, you know, literally signed an affidavit saying that they are not currently operating. Of course, I worked with an attorney to develop an agreement that states that I am not, you know, you know, assisting with any current ongoing operations, just prior period, again, to help them become compliant with the state, because the conversation we had with the attorney in the room was, you know, you want to contribute these legacy funds into a new legal venture. Um, You want to show the state that you are fully compliant, you are, and the two that I worked with were totally on board and ready to just, just take the leap and say, hey, you know, I want to do this legally i want to pay my taxes and so similar situation um building books and records where they did not exist so that they could become compliant as part of their long-term strategy to get licensed well and and that's a, a bunch of great points and so a lot of times with yeah you say someone who's maybe younger coming out of prison and they meet all the criteria for social equity applicant except 
oh, maybe I've never run a multi-million dollar business before <laughs> and important skills. So a lot of times as that CFO role, we can come in and almost be co-CEO with some of these people that need, I say, even maybe a little bit of parenting sometimes <laughs> um, with these, these, um, they're not always kids, but they're a lot of times younger. Um, they need capital. They need help dealing with the lawyers, with the bankers, with the insurance people, with the, the compliance, the authority, the lease people, um, not to mention the books and records and attacks and payroll and all that. And so, yeah, you can add massive value there. And then that gives that applicant comfort that, oh, I've got someone that's kind of got my back and I can go out there and really focus on what they really want to be doing probably is making their cool gummy bear or opening up their dispensary and working, talking to customers in the front office. Um, so that's really good. And kind of that ties into any other advice you would give to social equity applicants or people like, thinking like, oh, I could do this or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Just has an idea in their head. Yeah, I mean, and I will say that's why I love doing what I do is working with those individuals who have such a strong passion and a drive and they just need help with the back end stuff to make sure they do it all right so that they can sleep at night. So I like to think of accounting by design as their security blanket um, so that, you know, they, they're diving into it and they're ready to, you know, they reach a point in their life where they don't want to be living in the shadows. Um, and these are just like amazing individuals, creative geniuses, and I'm all about supporting them in carving their own destiny. So I'm really, um, every day I'm more and more glad that I took the leap and, and jumped into the industry and started my firm to help these folks. Um, in terms of advice for, um, you know, social equity and just applicants in general, uh, you know, seek, seek the free resources that do exist. There are plenty of us professionals who want to do good in the industry. Um, there are attorneys I work closely with that have free office hours. Um, there's there's uh, one attorney in particular on um, just this past week, I joined him on his weekly AMA, Ask Me Anything. Um, and so that lots of people tune into that and he gives, he'll answer anything and give you that legal advice. Um, although of course, preface with he is not your attorney. Um, there's another attorney I work closely with that does free office hours. Um, and then there are nonprofits out there offering free resources. So besides the, the CCA that, that I run, um, there's another nonprofit that I've worked closely with called the Justice Foundation. Um, and then the OCM is rolling out um, lots of information on their website in New Jersey. They are, they're rolling out a technical assistance program. Um, and besides that, in terms of general advice, go out there and, and do, do, do what you, you preach, Andrew, get involved, um, network, attend, as many, attend events, meet people. Um, it's like truly amazing the momentum that can come from that. One person meets someone, meets someone, and you, you come back together six months later and you're working together, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. A um, lot of people in this industry are in it for the right reasons, meaning they, they want to help. Um, if, you, if you find them and don't be afraid to ask, you know, for whatever it is you're looking for. Now that is great advice. And kind of the flip side of that question is, so if you were also telling them here, here's where to go and connect with those free resources, which you're right, like yourself or the, your consortium or the attorneys, but then also what can they do to help set, set the accountants or the CFOs they work with 
um, up for success. So what? So in other words, what do you see? Want to see when you start working for with a client? Other than you want them to not be breaking any laws, and <laughs> I'll start with that. <laughs> Don't break laws. Um, make sure that you are, re- you know, fully intending to comply. Be compliant. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, the clients that I know will be a good fit are the ones that come to me like super excited, you know, eyes wide about, you know, the amazing ideas that they have and the, the thought that they've put into it. Um, so I help them write a business plan. That's, that's important. And I, I've done some webinars um, and taught some uh, sort of like webinar courses around um, how you can write a, a business plan today. Um, Because it can be a very daunting, overwhelming task, but I think it's such a valuable tool for internal management use to share with your managers for buy-in, to share, um, you know, with investors um, so that everybody understands, you know, what your vision is, what your mission is, and so that it it can serve as a guiding light for you when you're deciding how to allocate resources. Does it align with the plan? Um, So I think a business plan is important. I think it's important to get involved locally as well. Um, make sure that the community where you want to operate has has not opted out in New York or New Jersey because many of them have. Yeah, um, and if they have, then you want you want to be the one doing you know the 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 workshops in the library um, and teaching people about you know what it is you want to bring to the community, who you are, the history of cannabis prohibition. You know, help help to destigmatize it. Um, Start putting together your financials, of course, as part of the business plan so that you know, um, you know, how much money you need to ask for. Um, And that's super important. And I think one of the other big things that the the sort of the legwork that can be done now is um, real estate hunting. (laughs) That is the biggest barrier in, in New Jersey in particular right now. Lots of lots, hundreds of applicants have been awarded this conditional approval, and now they need to convert. And it's all hinging on getting that lease signed. Um, lots of lots of predatory practices out there. So part of your team should be an attorney that that can help on the real estate negotiation side, um, and a great real estate realtor that can help you find uh, locations that's zoned properly in a municipality that has not opted out. So the real estate piece is probably the hardest, and something that. Um, you know, hopeful applicants should start looking into. And, and going back to, yeah. And, and really building, like you keep reiterating the team, getting your, your CFO on board and that person can kind of quarterback with the attorney or the real estate or the license operator. And even we talked about accounting and compliance, all this, but even startup and raising capital. So for example, you may not realize, oh, there's investor conferences in New York city, um, MJ Impact, Bazinga, Argue, or whatever, they have pitch competitions. So you can enter those pitch competitions and connect with a lot of investors really quickly. But to do that, you need a really good deck and a good financial model. I've seen a nine out of 10 decks and models, both are really poor. And so you can stand out if you, again, bring that right um, person on board to help you with, with that kind of stuff um, going in. When I first launched into this, um, I worked, you know, with a lot of New Jersey applicants and the need there at that time, about a year ago was, was business plans and and pitch decks and models. And so I was, I did a lot of 
it was consultations because they had built something themselves. And so I, I went through it with them and gave my recommendations and my commentary. And it was a great way just to develop an initial rapport um, with these with these applicants. Um, and it's interesting to see how in just a year, the needs have shifted, like things move so fast, um, <laughs> like slow and then overnight. <laughs> it's like, you're, there's nothing happening for three months and then lots happening for, yes. for a couple of weeks. Lots. So, uh, and I know when you, it just, to me, that's a good point too, about the slow versus like, it just always seems when I'm just in buried in the weeds, like it's moving so slow federally or statewide. But then on the other hand, I'm like, well, oh, if I just went back 10 years, it was only legal in Colorado. That was it. So in 10 years, we have come a freaking long way. And if you go yes. out another five years, it's probably, we're probably all way under predicting. What about one more question on, on CPAs or accountants that are thinking about this niche or worried about it? Um, any advice for, for them? For me, the, the greatest um decision I made was to hit the ground running and attend as many events as possible. So I think it's super important if you want to build your business uh, is just get out there and network. But um, there's a strategy to it. And you, my advice would be to network for the right reasons. Um, so when you're having conversations and meeting people, be alert to ways you can help everyone you meet in every conversation. And it's amazing how that comes back to you tenfold. So you can yes. build solid business alliances that way that will help you grow your business. Um, you know, not only with referral sources, but with other accountants in the industry. And that's, that's what I've been finding. And that's something I learned from the dope CFO program, just the power of the network. Um, so whenever I learn of another, you know, accountant in the space in New York, I want to meet them. I'm not feeling competitive with them. I want to find ways to collaborate with them. Um, so you, I feel strongly that I cannot do this alone. Um, and I, I value camaraderie over competition. I feel like we'll all rise together. So um, that, that's my advice for accountants who want to get in the space. Again, great advice. Um, yeah, whenever I hear people worried about the the size of the pie or getting a bigger share of the pie, I'm like, this this is the fastest growing industry in the world. It's going to continue um, as big as we've got in the last ten years, which I just talked about. All predictions are to three triple the size, if not five x the size, in the next seven years. So massive, massive growth is coming. So yeah, there, there's definitely plenty big, big pie. And getting yeah that commodity. And the other thing you said is, I think it's a great strategic plan. First and foremost, by getting involved, it's fun. You're doing good work. But every time you're out there at events or on the plane or whatever, meeting people, if you're always thinking, listening, and how can I help that person? Because you might help five people and only two of them send something back the other way. But it um, it it shows that. I, I actually just had an interaction with someone on the AICPA Cannabis Committee and I, I'm trying to think what I did for him. I came, I was like, oh, he was, oh, he's doing a book. And I came, I, I was like, came up with three ways and I showed it into my group or whatever on valuations. Um, and he's like, oh, what can I do for you? And I was just like, 
you don't need to do anything. We're, we're, I just, I agree. We're just all helping each other um, as well. One final question. If you have anything to say about Dope CFO, we'd love to hear it. People are always asking me, well, what do other people say in your program? <laughs> so I said, well, listen to my podcast. So I talked to a lot of Dope CFO um, VIP members on there and um, you can say anything. <laughs> Good or bad. I feel, yeah, my, my, from my perspective, Dope CFO is like the litmus test for us entrepreneurial cannabis accountants. Uh, I feel like it's a must. The network is invaluable. And when I do meet another accountant out there doing cannabis, um, I ask, are you in Dope CFO? Or they ask me before I get to it. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's sort of an expected thing if you're doing this. <laughs> okay, well, that that is great to hear as well. And yeah, we appreciate. And it's been fun. Like you say, that community has been far and away the best benefit to me. Dope CFO got started completely accidentally by people calling me and wanting to buy my work papers and tools. Um, and that's how it started. Um, but it's grown and grown and over time. And so you get these interactions. So like whether we've talked in our group on a live call or I think two years ago, you were at our dinner in Las Vegas. And then this year we were at Edison speaking on a stage together. So you slowly build these relationships and then it's just, and different people have different um, expertise um, as well. So that's, so to finally wrap it up, give um, anything else. I know you're talking, I want to hear about the new membership um, sponsorship opportunities and then also where people can find you um, and reach you that, investors, cannabis owners, social equity applicants. Okay, great. So yeah, as you mentioned, the New York Consortium of Cannabis Accountants, um, we are rolling out membership and sponsorship opportunities this month. So we're actually hosting two info sessions next week. I'm not sure when this is going to air, um, but December 14th and 15th. Um, but it's okay. If you can't make it, reach out to me. I'll speak to you, send you the recording. Um, really any accountant or tax preparer, bookkeeper, um, working with or planning to work with New York cannabis businesses and particularly, uh, you know, the legacy and social equity applicants. Um, you're all incur encouraged to join us and volunteer in support of our mission to promote financial literacy. Um, so the best way to reach me would be on either LinkedIn. I accept every connection request and I'm trying to be as responsive as I can to those messages, even though they can pile up. Um, it's important to me to you know, stay on top of that um, or via email. So my email address is Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N at accountingbydesign.cpa. Awesome. And we will also include all that in the show notes so you can always always be able to, to find Allison via our show or, or elsewhere. Um, outside the show, send us a, send us a link and Dope CFO will contribute because that sounds like an amazing cause. So we will, Dope CFO does give back every quarter to, to causes exactly like this tied to cannabis, criminal justice reform, or the industry. And we want to continue to support that. Um, anything around social equity or education, um, we're, we're big believers in too. So super great to have you. This has been a long show. Um, I can't do the three hour podcast like I see some of the podcasters do, but um, this was my best. <laughs> was fun. This was fun. Thank you. Super fun and um, great to go. And we will um, see everyone next time. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for your support.
Now, Tyson, are you going to cut recording?